I'm on. Okay. Hello, Christ community. Uh, I am really glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Before I jump into the message, I wanted to mention a couple things. Uh, First, our worship pastor, Daniel Wakefield, has just released a CD, which is really cool. Uh, The five songs on it include the For the City and Beyond song that he wrote, and we've been singing, as well as some other original songs of his. So copies of the CD are available at the 15th Street Bookstore for $5, or you can go online and you can download any of the songs or all the songs songs on iTunes. And so we're really, really proud of Daniel and his ministry to the body of Christ. So way to go, Dan. Um, I also wanted to mention a staff transition. Uh, Monica Gerber has been serving on our our staff team for seven years um, in the area of hospitality as well as Alpha. And she has done a great job of shaping and leading and growing the Alpha ministry and establishing a foundation upon which we can continue to see that ministry grow. And we want to just continue to see see um, God move in Alpha. And so we appreciate, we thank Monica for all she's done. We love her, love Monica, and are so grateful for her time of ministry here. And we wish her God's best as she pursues his leading in this next season. So speaking of seasons, we as a church are in a very significant season right now. For the past several weeks, God has been speaking to our hearts from the book of Nehemiah and giving us a vision to do what Nehemiah did, to turn our hearts toward our city and begin rebuilding broken walls. God is calling us as a church to intentionally focus our hearts and energy and resources on helping rebuild broken lives. Um, This vision is called For the City and Beyond um, and is focused focused on nine specific areas of need in our city, our region, and our world. So if you're new to Christ community or you've missed a few weeks here, we encourage you to pick up a For the City and Beyond packet of information. You can also get up to speed on a a website, forthecityandbeyond.org, and uh, you can get up to speed there. So after several weeks of talking about this vision, last week we officially launched it with Commitment Weekend. Hundreds and hundreds of us turned in commitment cards indicating our desire to be engaged in this vision, either relationally or prayerfully, um, financially as well. And it was so moving for me to see so many of you come forward and present your commitment card to the Lord. There was this palpable sense that we're doing a great work and we're not coming down. Uh, last week, someone in our church saw me walking along on a sidewalk, or I was, and, and they pulled over and rolled their window down and kind of honked at me or whatever. And they were like, I can't wait for this weekend. You know, we can't wait to be a part of this. And, I, and that was last, last week, they, they said that before the, the commitment weekend. And now, I mean, that's how I feel. I mean, what, what a privilege it is to be a part of this great work of God's kingdom. We had 557 commitment cards turned in, which is a great start. Um, we're expecting there will be many more. I know that a number of you were not able to be here last weekend, but you want to be a part of this. I, and, and so it is not too late. It is not too late to turn in your commitment card. Um, there are, they're available actually in the seat back in front of you. If you're at 15th street, um, you can grab one right now. Look at that. Or if you're at our West campus and watching this um, uh, online, you are watching this on video, you, you, you'll you find them in the, in the next area at the West Campus. Or you can go online for the citybeyond.org and you can submit your commitment electronically. Now, as you'll see on the card, um, when you take that out or you look at that, there's a place to indicate your commitment to pray for the vision. There's a place to indicate your interest in maybe exploring getting involved in one of the nine initiatives. And finally, there is a place to make a three-year financial 
commitment to this vision. And so we ask you to, to pray about that, to pray about stepping out in faith and giving sacrificially to impact the lives of thousands of people in our city, our region, and our world. I am so excited about us pursuing this vision, this for the city and beyond vision together. We want everyone, this is who we are as a church, we want everyone at Christ Community to be a part of this, to be a part of this vision. Once all the commitment cards are turned in, we'll announce, announce um, that total. Um, if on the commitment card you indicated an area of interest that you wanted to explore, you'll, you should be hearing um, from someone in the next couple weeks just to follow up on that. Now also, um, we are, we're designated the weekend of April 2nd and 3rd, so the week after Easter, three weeks from now, as Big Give Weekend for the For the City and Beyond Vision. As you can imagine, having financial resources up front in a three-year thing like this helps move the vision forward more quickly, locally and globally. So this is an opportunity that it's an opportunity for us to come together and jumpstart this for the city and beyond vision by accelerating our giving towards it between now and April 2nd and 3rd. So I just wanted to put that on your radar. Um, I'm so grateful for your faith. You guys are amazing. I'm grateful for your generosity. It's going to, it's going to be so fun to see what God does. Um, so it's really, really cool. Okay. Next week, believe it or not, is Palm Sunday. It's hard to believe. Um, leading into Good Friday and then Easter during those three events. We're going to be focusing our hearts on who Jesus is, King, Savior, and life. Really excited about Holy Week and about um, my Easter message. I've been working on it. I'm really excited about that. So be praying now about who you could invite to our Easter services. Next week, we will have an invite card available in the newsletter. It'll be available for you to use, um, as well as a promo video that you'll be able to share via social media. Okay, so today we're going to conclude our study of this amazing book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bible or iPad or smartphone or whatever, feel free to turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. For several chapters, this book has been focused on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And that happens, right? We find out in chapter 6 and 7 that this wall is completed and that, that an organizational structure is now in place. Now, one might think that that would be the conclusion to this book. But it's not. There is something extremely important that happens in the remaining chapters of this book. And, and it reveals to us, it reveals to us that the, the ultimate purpose of this wall rebuilding project, the ultimate purpose was it was not ultimately about bricks and mortar, doors and gates and all, and door, all that stuff. No, this, this wall building project was ultimately about the hearts of the people the spiritual condition of the people. It was ultimately about their relationship with God. See, the broken down physical condition of the walls of their city represented their own spiritual condition. And God wanted to do something about that. He wanted to rebuild their spiritually broken walls. And the same thing is true for us. In the midst of, of our commitment to be for the lost and broken all around us, God also wants to make sure that our hearts are in a healthy place, that our hearts are in a life-giving place, that, that spiritually speaking, that our relationship with God is thriving, our intimacy with him is deepening. So does that describe your relationship with God? Does that describe your relationship with God? I'm, I'm guessing that for many of us, our relationship with God is not really where we want it to be. Perhaps it feels kind of stagnant. 
we don't feel that connected to God. Maybe we are too often on the losing end of some battle with temptation. We don't feel that joyful. We don't feel that victorious. Just kind of blah. Well, if that's you, I've got some good news for you. God wants to bring renewal. He wants to bring refreshing and new strength into your relationship with him. And the book of Nehemiah is going to show us here. It's going to show us how that can happen. It centers around one critical issue. Our connection to the word of God. Our connection to the word of God. What we discover in chapter 8 is that there is a direct connection between the vibrancy of our spiritual lives and the Bible. The people in Nehemiah's day were in sort of a spiritual malaise. They were in kind of a spiritual lethargy. Even with the rebuilding of the wall, something was missing. And then suddenly in chapter 8, they get reconnected to the word of God and, and dramatic change results. Dramatic changes result. It, it, it's, it's life changing. It was life changing for them. It can be from us, for us too. So we can learn a lot from their example. So in this passage, we discover three marks of a vibrant, life impacting connection with the word of God. Okay, three characteristics, three marks of a, of a life-impacting connection with the Word of God. The first mark is desire. Desire. Look with me at verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. Now this, this is new. Something is stirring here on their own initiative. The people come together at the, in the square before the Watergate. I guess something good can come out of a place called Watergate. So that's what we learn here. Okay. Um, but anyway, the people come together and they, they, they tell Ezra, who is a religious teacher, is a priest. They tell him, bring out the book of the law. Bring out the book of the law of Moses. This is not an ought to. This, this was not some religious ritual that was scheduled for that day. And so they were, you know, just kind of reluctantly there because people told them they, spoke, they were supposed to be there. No, no, no. The people are hungry to hear the word of God on their own initiative. This desire, this hunger is a critical ingredient in the soil of personal transformation. We have to want God's word in our lives. We have to want to hear from him. So from where does this kind of desire come? Well, two places. One, it comes from the Holy Spirit stirring in us a desire to know God better, to, to be more intimate with God, to know his heart. I remember as a middle schooler, when I was in middle school, God was stirring in my heart a desire to know him through his word. I would have a little you know, quiet time before school and would read the Bible or, or listen to a devotional program on the radio. I think that was about the time, I think it was like in eighth grade, I took this memorize the word class at church. I was just you know, trying to memorize scripture. I just wanted to know God better. And I realized that the Bible is one of the best ways for that to happen. After all, God reveals himself to us in his word. He reveals his heart. He reveals his character. And so I believe that God is stirring in many of you a desire 
right now, a desire for a deeper walk with him. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to that desire. Now, there's another place from which this hunger, this, this desire often comes, and that is through our own brokenness, through our own failures, our own pain. The, the, these, those places of emptiness, of longing, those feelings of dissatisfaction with where our lives are headed. I, t I talked with someone recently who told me about how he was just kind of telling his story. And he told me about how he just got tired of his alcohol addiction. He got tired of drinking secretly in his truck day after day and then trying to hide that from everyone else. I mean, he saw where this was headed and it was not good and he knew it. In that seeing, in that brokenness, he was motivated to do something. You see, that place of brokenness is the best soil for personal renewal. It's the best soil for personal renewal. When we look around at our lives and we realize, you know, I don't like the direction I'm headed here. Whatever area we're talking about, but I don't like the direction my life is headed. I don't like the emptiness that I'm feeling. I'm weary of the pain that I'm carrying. I don't like the, 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 the way I'm, I'm relating to other people. I don't like the disconnect I feel in my relationship with God. I don't like how my behavior is taking more and more control of my life. I want to change. Folks, this is huge. This, this is huge. You may think, there are some of you here, you may think you are light years from God because of how empty you feel or because of how ashamed you feel. You have no idea how close to him you actually are. <laughs> you have no idea how close to him you actually are. Your hunger, your desire for things to change is actually the heart. It's, it's exactly the heart in which God does his best work. It's the heart in which he does his best work. The people in Nehemiah's day, they were hungry for change. They knew they needed a touch from God. They, they needed a, a reviving of their spiritual lives. And so they came together and they said, read to us from the word of God. They came together to hear from the word of God. Is there a hunger? Is there a hunger in your life to know God better? Is there a longing for transformation, for, for truth? If so, you are in a great place. You are in a great place, spiritually speaking. Direct that hunger to God. Direct it to God. Direct it to God's word. Which leads to a second mark of a vibrant, life-impacting connection with God's word. And that is deference. Deference. I'm not trying to impress with big words here, okay? Um, I'm really, really not. I use this word because it truly captures the essence of this point. I couldn't think of another word that worked better. It's the idea of deferring, right? You defer. The idea of deferring. According to the dictionary, the word deference means the respectful submission or yielding to the judgment, opinion, or will of another. The, the respectful submission or the yielding to the judgment, opinion, or will of another. See, this is absolutely essential if we want to be transformed by the word of God. 
We must have a yielded heart. We must have a willingness to respectfully submit to what God's word says. And so this is exactly what we see happening in Nehemiah chapter eight, verse two. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. What I want us to notice, first of all, is there the attentiveness of the people. Ezra stood up and he read from the word of God for six hours, okay, from daybreak till noon. And we're told that the people listened attentively, attentively to the book of the law. They are paying attention. They are giving God's word honor in their life. See, there is a deferring. There's a deference for God's word that they're demonstrating here. They made time for him. They made time for this. They listened attentively. See, we, we can say we believe the Bible. We can say that it's really, really important to us, but how much attention do we actually give it in our lives? How much time do we actually spend reading the Bible or being attentive to what God is saying to us in the Bible? Now, there are, there are so many tools today with technology, so many tools that make this so accessible. There are all sorts of Bible apps. One that we recommend around here is YouVersion. It's called YouVersion. Um, and they have all sorts of Bible reading plans that go along with it. It's really, really quite, quite amazing. My own personal practice is to use the one-year Bible. And um, I, I have it on my Kindle. Um, I don't worry about getting through the Bible in a year, so I'm not really concerned at all about that. I know some people read it that way and they feel guilty when they get behind. I don't even treat it that way. I don't care how long it takes me. I just read a portion of the one-year Bible every morning when I have a, when, whatever mornings I have a quiet time with God. What I love about the one-year Bible is that it's divided up, each day's reading is divided up into an Old Testament reading, New Testament, Psalm, and a proverb. And so I know that over time, it may take me a year and a half, two years, who cares, but I know over time I'm being exposed to the entire counsel of God. I'm being exposed to every word that God has given to us, not just my favorite passages, okay? So you can find, that's just a suggestion, one year Bible, the U version, you can find links um, to these tools under the growth tools section of our website. So if you're interested in more information about those, go to our website, growth tools, hit that section, and it'll show you some links to those things. The key, whatever tool, whatever method you use, um, the, the key is that we are regularly opening our hearts to the word of God that we are regularly opening our hearts to the word, giving space for it to speak to us, for God to speak to us through his word. That's the key. So that's one aspect of deference. It's giving time and attention to the word of God. We're giving deference to it in our lives. But, but it's more than that. Deference is more than that. It also involves a heart posture. Verse seven, the Levites instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear 
and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So we hear, see here the importance of teaching, the importance of Bible teaching. These Levites were explaining the word. They're explaining the meaning of God's word. And when that happens, the people here have a very interesting response. Verse 9, for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. They are weeping in response to hearing God's word. Why? Why are they weeping? Because they're realizing God's faithfulness to them, and yet they're also seeing how their lives have drifted from his loving purposes and his heart. I mean, imagine the shock of that, okay? These people had not heard the word of God. So here they are. Here's the first time. Imagine if you're there. This is the first time you're hearing God's word. This is God's word to you. You are for the first time hearing the word of God to you. And, and as you're hearing it, you see all these areas in your own life where you're not following him. You're not, you're, you're not doing what he wants you to do. You're not doing what he wants. I mean, the, the people are convicted of their sin. They're, they're convicted of, of the, their lack of alignment with God's word, how their lives don't align with God's word. And they begin weeping. They begin weeping because of this disconnect. See, this is, another, this is another aspect of what deference to the word of God looks like. They are humbly submitting their lives, their wills to God's standard, to God's will. See, here, here's what they're saying. This is so important. They're saying, this word has the authority to speak into my life. Not just what I want to hear. As God's word it has the authority to correct me. It has the authority to convict me. It has the authority to challenge me and change my behavior. I am submitting, what they're saying is, I'm submitting my thinking, I'm submitting my desires, I'm submitting my opinions and my will to this book. Now let's be honest, this is not the way most people approach the Bible, including Many Christians. Often, we approach the Bible with a filter. And that filter is our own personal opinions and desires and thoughts. So when the Bible says things we, would, we agree with, we're all in. Absolutely. We're all in. Maybe I'll memorize that even. But when the Bible teaches something we don't really agree with, like how sex is reserved for marriage or how our money really belongs to God and he commands us to give generously to his word or how we are commanded to forgive anyone who hurt us. Man, when we read about stuff like that, we instinctively, often we instinctively put up our filter why, you know, in our case, it's really okay to sleep around because we really love each other. It's okay. Or how in our case, you know, it's really okay that we're not giving, you know, to the Lord. It's just okay. In our circumstances, it's just okay. Or, you know, I know forgiveness is important, but this person, what they did to me, eh. Now, and in my case, it doesn't really apply. See, we, we, we try and justify our behavior. We, minimal, we, we minimize God's word and we exalt our own opinion or we exalt the opinion of our society or our peers, what they think and of God's word and what everyone else thinks. Oh, okay. 
See, what we're basically doing, what we're basically doing is placing ourselves in authority over God's word. That's what we're doing. We're placing ourselves in authority. We're picking and choosing what we want to believe. I mean, this is happening all around us in our society at an alarming rate, which is troubling, and yet it's also understandable. I mean, hang with me here. I expect people like Bill Maher to make fun of the Bible, okay? I just expect people like that to make fun of the Bible. I mean, from the beginning in Genesis 3, we see that a characteristic of a sinful world is its rejection of God's word, of what God is saying. This was the, the, the original sin, right? Did God really say? And Eve bought that. Adam and Eve bought into that. And that, that was kind of where sin started. So, so you know, it, it's, not, it's not surprising it, that, that this is happening. I get that happening in our society. People mocking the God, God's word and making fun. I totally get that. What is far more troubling to me, what is far more troubling is how often this is happening in us as followers of Jesus. That's far more troubling. How often today we are letting our beliefs be shaped by our culture or, or by our own opinions or how we feel about something, right? And our desires, rather than being shaped by the truths of God's word. Now I know, I know the Bible makes an easy target for criticism and mockery. I mean, I know that. There are a number, a number of difficult passages in the Old Testament where God commands things that upset our Western, you know, our 21st century sensibilities. I wrestle with those passages as well, okay? I, they're there. You know, and it's easy for people to pick and, you know, uh, you know make fun of the Bible because I, I, I totally get it. I, I wrestle with those passages as well. I'm not trying to offer a neat and tidy answer and all this stuff, but, but I, do, I do wanna challenge us on this point. Is it possible that the things in the Bible we don't understand or we don't like, is it possible that those things are actually a part of God's purposes with humanity? In other words, is it possible that God's ways are beyond our ways? Is it possible that God had a reason and has a reason for what he has done and what he is doing a reason that may be beyond our understanding because we don't have all the answers. It's not like our culture has arrived and we see everything perfectly. They thought that 100 years ago. They thought that 400 years ago. Do we really think we're any different? Is it possible that God's ways and his thinking and his purposes are beyond our understanding and that we can trust him? Even when we don't understand, we can trust him. I mean, isn't that ultimately what this is about? Do we trust God's word in our lives? Or are we going to choose to place ourselves in the judgment seat of God? To place ourselves in that, that position of authority? That is a very dangerous and vulnerable, spiritually vulnerable place to be. Because it means we are robbing God's word of its power to transform our lives. The moment we place ourselves in authority over the word of God, we are robbing God's word of its power to transform our lives. As long as we sit in the driver's seat, we will never let the word of God convict us, correct us, change us, challenge us. We'll never let it do that. And we miss out on the spiritual renewal that God's word can bring. Do you, are, are you willing, are we willing to allow the word of God to correct us? 
to convict us, to point out things we're doing wrong. Are we willing to do that? Is that the kind of relationship we have with the word of God? I remember hearing about Billy Graham, you know, he's really old now, um, but had some amazing ministry for decades of preaching the gospel. As a young man, he was struggling with this very question, whether or not he believed the Bible was truly the infallible word of God. He wrestled with it because he had friends who mocked the Bible and um, he had uh, friends who turned away from the Bible and, and Charles, uh, uh, Charles Templeton and some other people like that turned away from it and and he had, he had some of his own doubts about it. But there came a point, there came a point where he knew he needed to decide who was going to be the authority here. He knew he needed to decide. It was ultimately an issue of deference. That's where he came to. Was he willing to let the truth of this word have authority in his life? Or would he let the Bible be kind of a book of helpful life principles, all the while maintaining his own authority over it. Well, he made his choice. One day as a young man, he made his choice to believe this word, to submit his life to the authority of this word. Not only did that decision impact his life, I mean, it impacted the lives of millions of people, right? Certainly hundreds of thousands of people who heard the gospel through Billy Graham's ministry. See, what, what you believe about the Bible matters, perhaps more than you realize. Is your attitude towards the Bible one of deference? This is God's word, and it has the authority to speak to any area of my life. No areas off limits. Is that our attitude? Even when I don't agree, it has the authority to speak to any area of my life or that's an attitude of deference or is your attitude one of self-determination? I'll pick and choose what I want to believe. Depending on what our society is saying, depending on what I personally feel, depending on all that stuff. However you answer that question, it will make a huge difference in your own experience of spiritual transformation. It will make a huge difference in whether or not your own broken walls get rebuilt. It's a huge, huge issue. Now, I realize that I'm, I'm probably making obedience to the word sound pretty heavy and hard, you know, using words like authority and, and submission. I get that, and I, I realize that I want to course correct here, okay? A little course correction, because there's another facet in the spiritual transformation equation that we dare not lose sight of, and it's right here in the next few verses in Nehemiah 8, beginning in verse 9. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. <laughs> this is so fascinating. It is not what we would expect I mean, typically, preachers love it when they make people cry, right? I mean, we love it when, when people are so moved by our words that people are weeping out of conviction. I mean, that is like the epitome of, of, of preaching, right? But here is, the people are weeping 
Nehemiah stands up and says, stop, stop all this weeping and depressing stuff. Just stop it. This day, why? This day is holy to the Lord. Don't grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. What is he talking about here? I, I, read, I, I read recently, this is fascinating. I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's probably going to be a, a sermon topic after, after Easter because I'm just fascinated by this. But, but I, I read recently of a rabbi who in his study of the Hebrew word for holy, the word used here, Hebrew word for holy, became convinced that the root of the Hebrew word for holy means to be prepared or to be fully ready for all that is good. In other words, to be holy is to be whole. It's to be whole. It's to be complete. It is to be the person we were created to be. And that is a place, that, that place of wholeness is a place of incredible joy, a place of delight, which is the third mark of a vibrant, life-impacting connection with God's word, delight. The reason Nehemiah urged them to stop weeping was because he wanted them to know that when we align our lives with God's word, that is a place of incredible joy. <laughs> when we align our lives with God's word, it is a place of incredible joy. It is not a place of heavy burdens and restriction, oppressive restrictions. No, no, no. It is a place of wholeness and joy and freedom and strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I know sometimes people just take this one verse out of context and yeah, the joy is losing all this, and that's fine. They take it out of context and they talk about joy in general. But let's not miss what, Nehemiah, what is happening here that moved Nehemiah to say this. That is not, joy in general is not what Nehemiah is referring to. He is talking about the joy that is found when we align our lives with God's word. That's what happens. That's what he's talking about. That joy is your strength. See, that's why he is urging the people, go out and celebrate. <laughs> okay, you've been crying and convicted and all that, that's great. Go out and celebrate now. Go out and celebrate. God wants us to realize, it's so important folks, God wants us to realize that when we hear God's word and when we align our lives with God's word, the ultimate result of that is joy. It's joy. Do you know that joy? Do you know that joy? Do you know the joy of choosing to say no to a temptation that is wreaking havoc in your life and suddenly realizing you don't have to give in to that? You taste of freedom. You feel stronger and whole inside. Do you know that joy? Do you know the joy of hearing God whisper, whisper to your heart his love? Do you know the joy of hearing him whisper his love to your heart in the midst of circumstances that seem overwhelming? Do you know the joy of trusting God when it doesn't make sense to do so? <laughs> do you know the joy of following him when it feels risky to do so? I mean, I, I saw on so many faces last week the utter joy of committing ourselves to a God-given vision that's bigger than any one of us. 
the joy as people brought their cards. I saw the joy on people's faces of giving ourselves to this God-given vision to bring hope and life to lost people in our city, our region, and world. I saw that look on so many faces. People just, just knowing, people knowing that they're growing in their faith, they're growing in their generosity, they're growing in their compassion. I mean, that kind of joy is what Nehemiah's talking about. It's the joy of saying, yeah, <laughs> to God, I'm obeying, I'm following you here. That's the joy he's talking about, that kind of joy. The joy of aligning our lives with God's heart, with his will. There is no joy that compares to that. That kind of joy truly is a strength in our lives. And honestly, the, the thought just struck me that the opposite is the case too. Did, you know, did one of the, the results of disobedience and not aligning our lives, ourselves with God's word, and I think all of us can relate to this, it, it um, removes strength from our lives, right? It saps strength from our lives. So the joy of the Lord is our strength and disobedience has the opposite effect. It, it pulls that strength from us. So that, 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 this is so cool here. The joy of the Lord is our strength. That kind of joy is a strength. And here's the deal. It gets better. Because there, there actually is a level of joy in the word that is ours to experience in a way the people in Nehemiah's day couldn't. We can actually experience this in a way Nehemiah's, the people in Nehemiah's day couldn't. And the reason is because these words in the Bible point to a person, the person of Jesus, right? We have this vantage point now. In John 1, we read, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. From the beginning of time, God has been speaking through creation, through the prophets, and then came his ultimate word, Jesus, the person of Jesus, the full, complete revelation of who God is. And so this Jesus, when he was tempted by Satan, what did he do? He quoted God's word. He quoted the Bible. <laughs> and when teaching in the synagogue, Jesus quoted God's word. And when hanging on a cross, Jesus quoted God's word. I mean, the word was critically important to Jesus' life and his ministry. And at one point, Jesus even made it clear that every part of God's word points to him. He rebuked the Pharisees for, you know, you, you study God's word and yet you missed me. And we can do the same thing. We can be so, you know, study God's word and forget that God's word is ultimately about a relationship. The word is, points us to this re intimate relationship with Jesus. So Jesus is the final word of God to us. So when we, through desire or deference or delight, when we increasingly connect to God's word, the ultimate result is Jesus. A deepening experience of intimacy and life in him. That relationship with him hearing his truth spoken in the depths of our soul. That relationship with him is ultimately what will rebuild our broken walls and bring about life, bring about the life change and the personal renewal that we all long for, that we all desire. Amen. Let's pray together. 
God, thank you. Thank you for your word. The power of your word in our lives to transform our lives with truth, the truth of your word. And so I want to pray for all of us here. I want to pray, first of all, for a desire, an increased desire for your word, whether it's through just a stirring in our hearts. Say, I want to, instead of reading this other book, I, want to, I just want to read the word. I want to spend more time reading the Bible rather than reading something else before I go to bed. I want to read this. Whatever the stirring is, I pray that you would increase that, Lord. You would increase that stirring. Or maybe it's through brokenness. And there's some of us here and we're just thinking, you know, I don't like where my life is headed right now. I don't like where I'm headed in this marriage. I don't like where I'm, I'm headed with this behavior. I don't like the emptiness I'm feeling, the pain I'm feeling. Whatever you're using, Lord, just stir a desire for your word and increase desire in every person here, including me. Stir it in us. And we also want to pray, Lord, this whole area of deference and one part of that is just making time for your word. And I just want to pray that we would make time for your word. I mean, the people in Nehemiah's day were like, oh, speak to us from the word. They were so, so, so uh, in awe of the opportunity. And yet, and so we have access everywhere to the word of God. We almost, it almost becomes flippant to us. And we lose sight of how holy and precious this word is. God's word to us. So help us make time for that. And I want to pray as well, and this is the challenge, Lord, the real challenge is that we would submit to your word, especially in areas where we disagree, <laughs> areas where we don't like. We don't like what it's saying. And where our opinion would differ or our desires would differ, would you give us the grace and the willingness to obey you then and to submit our lives to your authority? So I pray for that deference to your word. And I want to pray too, Lord, that as we walk in that in greater ways, there would be a delight. There would be such a joy that would be released from obeying your word, from following you in the word, there would be a strength and a power poured out in our lives that broken walls would be rebuilt based on your truth and your love and all the incredible things your word communicates to us, Lord. Help us to recognize when our opinions are being swayed by the opinions of the world and help us to go back to your word as our ultimate authority. So I pray for that. Your word, your word at work in our hearts and our lives. You know, I want to just take a moment here. You can keep your head bowed, but I want to take a moment because as I mentioned, the Bible points to Jesus. And you can know the Bible. You can know Bible verses. You can, I mean, you can know about the, all that stuff. You can read the Bible and miss Jesus. And I don't want anyone here to miss Jesus because he's the point. So there may be some of you here and, and what you need is a relationship with Jesus. You don't need more information. You need a savior because the Bible makes it clear. Our sin separates us from God. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. Our sin separates us from God. We had no way to get to God on our own. And he came to us. He gave his life on the cross to pay for our sin. He paid for all of it, all of your sin and mine. 
The way into a relationship with God is through Jesus. It's by admitting our need and placing our trust in him. And there are some of you here, and you've made it way too complicated. You're, you're trying to work your way into a relationship with God. You're trying to impress God with your knowledge or your church attendance or your behavior or whatever. It doesn't work. You can't impress him. All of us are sinners. We need Jesus as our Savior. And so there are some of you here, this is your moment. This is your moment to say yes to Jesus and begin this relationship with God that you were created to experience. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer right now. Just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear God, I acknowledge that you are holy, whole, and I'm not. I'm broken, I'm sinful, I do my, my own thing, I don't follow you very well, and that sin separates me from you, but I don't want to be separated from you. And even though there was nothing I could do to get to you, you came to me in the person of Jesus. Jesus, you came to earth, you lived a perfect life, and then you died on the cross as a sacrifice for my sin. You took the penalty I should have paid. Thank you for doing that. And I choose right now to place my trust in you. I bring you all my sin. I bring you all my failures and fears and doubts and questions, fears. I bring all of that to you and I place it on you, on you, Jesus. And I receive your life by faith. I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. Forgive my sins, past, present, and the sins I haven't even committed yet. Forgive all of them through your precious blood. And come live in me through the presence of your spirit, changing me from the inside out. God, I want to pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you. Help them grow in this amazing relationship with you. And if you did pray that prayer, I encourage you to consider taking our alpha, our next alpha course coming up in a couple of weeks. It's a great next step for you. So God, help every one of us realize that you, Jesus, are the point. We celebrate your life in us, your forgiveness of us, and your word. And God, we want your word to continue to point us to you, a deeper relationship with you. So we have the opportunity as we enter into worship in a couple moments, we have the opportunity to receive the Lord's Supper. And the way this is going to work, the worship team, whatever campus you're at here, the worship team is going to begin leading us in worship. And at any point during that worship time, you can come to a table around the room, come to a table and take a piece of bread and you can dip it in the juice and then you can either eat it right there or you can take it back to your seat and, and eat it. So why don't we stand? And God, we thank you for Jesus, for giving his life for us and this opportunity to celebrate that life through the partaking of the Lord's Supper. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for your word that points us to you. We just pray for more of you, more of you in our lives. Thank you for dying on the cross for us.